Steve Price. Steve Price. Hey, Steve. Hey. Shock jock Steve Price. I don't like shock jock, by the way. I think um, Price is 100% right. Well, Steve joins us now. Peter Hellier is one of Australia's funniest people and one of Australia's hardest-working media personalities. Peter sells out stand-up comedy shows around Australia and, indeed, around the world. He's a children's book author, a TV series producer and a lead actor. He has his own unique podcast and is my fellow panellist on Network 10's The Project. He's also a dad and a husband and perhaps a little uniquely in media, he happens to be a really nice bloke. Uh, you guys have got FOMO, I can tell. you got a fear of missing out, yeah? I don't have FOMO. I've been married for 15 years now. I don't have FOMO. My wife doesn't have FOMO. We have the opposite. We have phobia. We have the fear of being invited. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get a wedding invitation and really wish it was a gas bill? You know, that's... That's where we're at. <laughs> Peter, welcome to On The Record. Can you believe it? We've been together on the project for seven years. Time flies when you're having fun, Pricey. I've always said that. And uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, does, it has gone quickly. And um, I, uh, I do remember when I joined the project, I think you were the bloke I was a bit uh, well, I was nervous about because I thought, how am I... You know, we're going to get along. He's, he, he probably, he's probably going to hate me. You know, because, you know, you have your view from the outside. And even though I must say, uh, everyone inside the project was uh, always, um, you know, uh, said how how much they, they they loved you and they respected you. And um, and it's been yeah, it's, it's, it's been it's been a great seven years. And um, you know, here's to seven more. Yeah, we haven't had a r- really too many harsh words. I think you. You uh, stabbed me one time on air live, but it was all, all well-meaning. I think it might have been in regard to our, our friend Donald Trump. Possibly. Um, it's funny. It, it's, I quite like our, our relationship because we don't, we don't disagree for the sake of disagreeing, you know. Um, but there is – whenever something happens on air where we've had a bit of a, you know, a stoush, um, as soon as we go to a commercial break, we kind of give each other a bit of a – a wink and a smile, and yeah, most I think there's been one or two occasions where we probably haven't quite done that straight away. Maybe it's something that's happened after the show, but um, uh, you know, we, we I think we we're mates who you know we know that we don't always get along, but I think you always at least listen to um, my point of view. I hope I do the same uh, with you, and um, I think there should be more people who can you know uh, agree to disagree. I think we've lost uh, the art of uh, of that. Yeah, I think a thousand percent, and and we shouldn't let anyone get the impression listening to this that we do disagree for the sake of of uh, good television or uh, a moment on on the project, which is done live. If we disagree, we disagree genuinely, but we do respect yep. each other's point of view. I mean, clearly, you and I uh, come from probably reasonably opposed uh, spectrum of right and left, but uh, I, you've convinced me over those seven years to change my mind on things. And I think I may have slightly convinced you to look at things in a little bit more broad way, but I mean, it, we don't need to get too deep about it, but I, there's nothing wrong with not always agreeing with each other. Absolutely. And, um, and, and sometimes we, you know, we're, yeah, when we chat off air or, or on air, it, it's not necessarily we're always trying to bring each other around to the other's way of thinking. It's just, this, this is what I'm, and sometimes we're, you know, when we're, Particularly when we're talking off air, we're thinking out loud. We're still kind of, you know, that's what people do. You kind of gather opinions, and you kind of, I mean, it's a good way of, you know, sorting uh, through through any issue. I think is just to you know see what different people 
how different people you know, feel. I think there was an issue we were talking about the uh, Scott Morrison going to the uh, uh, the uh, the football. Now you actually kind of it wasn't a big swing of an opinion because none of us were neither of us were particularly kind of outraged or or, or anything. And but you were probably more. Uh, in in um, had more of an issue with it than I had. I thought, well, I'll give the guy a break. He's going to the, going to the football. He's he's done, he's done a good job. Uh, you were slightly uh, on the other side, which may surprise <laughs> surprise people. But yeah, you know, look, to be honest, you had actually kind of convinced me that maybe the messaging sent is um is not uh, is not you know, the best message you can send at the, in times of a of a pandemic. But um, but like I said, you don't get bogged down in the those kind of issues, but it is it is it is good to um to be able to listen and to, and to agree to disagree and and also be open to changing your mind. You've had such a varied career. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. We're going to go through it in in some detail. Uh, seven years together. Uh, I think the highlight would have to be when we went on uh, All Star Family Feud as a team, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was more fun than I expected it to be, though. But we um. Despite the fact that um, we were the biggest losers uh, in the history of uh, the game, I think we lost to the cast of neighbours. Um, you know, I think we went in with a bit of swagger about us. I think we thought we were uh, a pretty good shot. I, and I, I admittedly was thinking, well, we've got you know, we've got uh, Carrie and Pricey, and of course Waleed. You know, we're going to we're, 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 we're a shoe in here, and um, <laughs> and I was just going to you know, make some jokes and uh, let you guys carry the team. But um, no, it didn't turn out like that. We um, we were the, you know, literally the biggest losers on uh, Family Feud Australia uh, history. Professor Ali just took it all far too seriously and tried to <laughs> – he thought it was a real quiz show. And, of course, yeah. we had no idea about trying to answer these silly questions and uh, it's very funny. What's your relationship like with Wally? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, you see it um, when, we, uh, when you come in and uh, I, I love the bloke. I um, – I've got uh, the utmost respect for him. Um, I, like you, I, I love just chatting to him and picking his brain. Um, he's he's an extremely curious person. You know, he wants to know, you know, I'll, I'll do a joke. I remember one of the early days of, when uh, Wally started hosting the project, he, uh, I made a joke and uh, it got a laugh and we went to an ad break and, and Wally said, you know, why was that funny? And I, I, was, I thought it was a weird question and, I thought initially he was kind of almost uh, suggesting that it wasn't funny, but no, he, he he knew it was funny and he laughed, but he wanted to know why. And I, I, he gave me a little insight into Wiley's brain quite early that he actually does like to deconstruct things and understand them, you know, whether it be, you know, something, you know, um, you know, you know a big issue that's extremely important and, and, and complex or just, why is that joke you just made funny? Like, break it down for me. Um, and, uh, and and we chat about, you know, uh, a lot of things, you know, things that are, you know, kind of big and meaty and, and, and serious and, and, you know, uh, issue-based. But also we chat a lot about footy, as you know. Um, you know, you know we, we chat about pop culture. We chat about, you know, uh, media um, uh, and families. You know, like, it's... Um, yeah, we share a dressing room and myself and my lead. So we always have a, you know, a debrief after each show, you know, while we're getting, you know, changed into our civvies. And, um, uh, yeah, I just think he's, um, I think he's quite misunderstood, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, he gets, you know, people, you know some people write him off as, as, as being left. But I, I couldn't guarantee you, I would not put, you know, any more than 
50 bucks on who, who I think he voted for in the last election, to be honest. I, I just have no idea. I, I think he's I think he's extremely fair. I'll go um, Greens. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wally. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I'm you in on that one. But, um, <laughs> but you know, he, he basically just looks at every issue and just kind of goes, "Okay, well, what you know, uh, what's the fairest way I can uh, I, I can attack base?" And, and, and if you're if you're watching an interview and you're on the the side of the um, person maybe being grilled, then of course you're you're going to you might you might um you know, rub you up the wrong way, but I think it's, if you actually were able to step back and, you know, part, as you know, Pricey, part of it, uh, when you're interviewing somebody, it's not just the, you know, the lob up, you know, um, you know, the, the easy ones for them. It's actually to kind of, you know, grill the, um, the, uh, uh, their point of view a little bit. Yeah, I think the great frustration for all of us is we don't get enough time with individual interviews, but that's just the nature yep. of television. Talking about that, what's your favourite thing to do? Do you prefer doing stand-up? Do you prefer doing live TV? Do you prefer doing live radio? Do you like sitting down at a computer writing a book? I mean, you're a man of so many talents. What's what, what's uh, This is a, probably a strange question. What's the easiest thing for Peter Hellier to do in his job? Um. The easiest thing for me to do is possibly uh, the project. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, stand up takes. Um, you know, uh, it's it's stand up when you're. A lot of people see the stand ups and, and you look at stand comedy and you think, oh, being on stage and talking in front of an audience, I, you know, I couldn't do it, and how tough it would be. That's that's the easy part, to be honest. Yeah, I, try, I tried it once. I wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did your first gig in, you know, on live uh, on live television uh, projects. You know, had <laughs> a layer of pressure. I, I grant you that. Um, but it's, it's more so that when you are when you are developing a new show. So I always think of it as that I'm at the bottom of a mountain and I'm looking up at the top of the mountain, and that's sixty minutes. And that's what I'm, I need to write sixty minutes of material. Uh, for it to have a new show, and when you're at zero minutes, um, and you have to start going out to mm. you know bars and clubs in front of maybe you know anywhere between 15, 60 people, and and do material that you're not completely sure of yet, that's where it kind of takes a little bit of you know uh, a courage in, in in a way, and that's where it it, it it is tough, and that's when you kind of start going, just why, why why am I doing this? I don't need to do another comedy festival show, surely. Um, I've got enough stuff going on, but it's once once you break through and you get to a point where you kind of go, okay, I think there's a show in this and then and then you start developing it and it just starts um it starts happening and um and then when you you know, when you uh when it when it's up and running and feeling good, there's no you know, there's probably no better feeling in the world to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say to you the endorphin hit you get through your brain when you find that key. It's like writing an opinion column for a newspaper. You fret and, and I, I imagine stand-up comedy writing your shows it much, much harder, but you write a weekly column for a newspaper, you fret all week about what's that one idea that you've got to have that's original that you can then sit down and craft a column around. It must be exactly the same sort of thing with your a, a stand-up comedy show. At some point, that light goes on in the brain, right, and you know, okay, I've got this, I can now write it. Absolutely, and in fact, uh, I was chatting to uh, Carrie Wilead about this recently. The the the, the feeling you get, um, uh, the endorphin release, like you said, of stand up comedy, is is very similar to the feeling you get when you've written something and you press send mm. to send it off to you know your editor or your publisher. And I get that when I write my uh, Frankie Fish books, or, you know, I've written a, 
even if it's just a draft, and even if I know the draft, you know, the next draft may be going to need a, you know, a lot of work, just that pressing send can be uh, quite exhilarating, um, knowing that you don't have to worry about that for a, a little while at least. Um, uh, and I, I assume it's, you know, like you said, a column's a bit different because, you know, you, you haven't got time to do too many <laughs> uh, back and forth. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's quite a similar feeling, to be honest. When did you first realise you were funny? Um, I, I think it was just making my, um, my cousins laugh. Um, you know, we, we, we were a family who, uh, particularly when I get together with my cousins, uh, we really love to laugh. Um, you know, comedy is, 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 um, is regarded highly. Um, uh, you know, at Christmas would be this, you know, two trestle tables and everyone is trying to make jokes and, and, and sometimes that would be just simply be um, reciting lines from sitcoms or sketch shows, but um, often, you know, high, high, more uh, highly regarded uh, than that was actually, you know, coming up with an original line. And I remember I was the younger, I was the younger of the cousins, and, and being able to make my older cousins laugh um, felt really good. Um, and then I went to school and, and um, kind of found that I was, you know. Um, I won't say the class clown. Jerry Seinfeld says uh, the class clown is, is uh, you know, a bit of a hack. Uh, he always regarded himself as a class comedian because he actually did jokes and material, like, work, almost worked on material. And I think I was, I was similar. I had a teacher who um, uh, allowed me to, um, in humanities, uh, basically host uh, the oral presentations. Uh, you know, everyone was doing their talks. And I would sit at the teacher's desk and introduce um, everybody uh, as if I was Steve Eisard on Tonight Live because that was you know, the big <laughs> show at the time. And uh, so I'd give everybody like a little yeah, intro that I would just improvise and um, then they'd get up, they'd do their five minutes humanities talk and then I'd introduce the next one. And and that was great. And then I had a teacher in year 11, uh, Mr. Smith, who, and my, you know, I, I studied politics in, uh, in year 11 and, and 12. And, and he had a rule that you could um, – you could uh, at any time make a joke. Anyone could yell out a joke at any time in his class, but, but it had to be funny. And if it wasn't funny, you got kicked out. But if it was funny, you're allowed to say. So that gave me, you know, um, a bar to, you know, to work at and, um, you know, a certain standard to, uh, to, to uh, try to achieve. It's interesting you, you mentioned Steve Izard there. I would have thought you're more of a contemporary of his rather than a fanboy. No, well, I mean, Steve. I mean, Steve's been around for a while, and 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 um, he was doing full frontal when I was at high school, and um, uh, and then yeah, Tonight Live. Um, you know, kind of around at the same time. I think he was almost, I think, doing both at the same time, uh, possibly. Um, so I, I, um, yeah, I grew up. You know, I mean, loving the the, the DJ and and and, and uh, you know the comedy company and then uh, the Late Show. Um, and kind of, yeah, fast forward and, and, um, I, I did actually work experience, um, at, at, uh, fast forward, um, at Channel 7. So I did really? at Channel 7 and I, yeah, and I, I got to spend two days, um, uh, just sitting in, in the, uh, in the bleachers, basically watching, uh, yeah, Magda and, um, and Steve and Michael Veach, you know, and, yeah, Mark Danny, uh, rehearse and, and Ted Emery, the director, kind of directing them. And, and it was amazing. I, I, no one spoke to me. I just kind of sat there, but I, I think it was, you know, they didn't really know how to handle the work experience kids, to be honest. So they just, you know, they just put them somewhere. I got to work with Drew Morfitt, the late Drew Morfitt as well. Uh, the first couple of days I did sport, and then the last couple of days I was watching um, uh, fast forward uh, rehearsals. So it was um, it was pretty inspiring. And, um, and you know, and to na- now be kind of mates 
with Magda and and, and Steve and and you know I worked with them both on the on the project of uh, you know I wrote with Magda on a series on the ABC I did Coffee to Date. Uh, it's it's been you know I have I've had a lot of pinch yourself moments like Glenn Robbins is also a massive you know it was a, you know a massive um, hero of mine and and I loved Uncle Arthur and and all that so and I've got to become mates with Glenn and and um, you know and and also the working dog guys Rob Sitch and and, and Santo and Tom and, and Jane and um, so uh, you know that, that's you know that's where I, I kind of you know think of the you know, the 14-year-old me and give myself a little high five. Well, you know my view of political correctness. I mean, when you think back, fast forward that sketch show uh, featuring a couple of Vizard's characters, the the gay airline steward and the Indian rug seller, you could probably not get away and do that on TV anymore, could you? Oh, no. I think you could remove the possibly uh, out of the question. I mean, Vizard was doing that in blackface. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know... I have probably my views on cancel culture. I, I think there's there's um, there's more to be gained going forward than than, than uh, looking back. I, I think I, I think you can uh, you know I quite like quite like what they've done with Gone with the Wind as far as they they took it off air for a bit and then they've they've come back with some you know some uh, some context for it as far as uh, you know a short documentary I think you can watch before and then after and it explains yeah you know, I'm I'm all I'm absolutely all for that. Um, but I think going back and, and, and judging people on, on the things that they were doing, you know, 30 years ago is, is tricky. Um, and I, I think it's much better, you know, uh, moving forward than looking back. Um, um, and, but as far as political correctness, I, I, I think it, it does, we, we have to, I just see it as a comedian and as, as a comedian, I should be, you know, more than anyone, political correctness as, as, been you know um, a bigger you know in a way stumbling block because yeah, it's a threat it's an enemy know. to what you do yeah but I'm I'm kind of I support it because I think it makes uh, people's lives better do I think sometimes it goes too far of course I do you know but but I think there's a purpose uh, for it and I, I think I would hate for us still to be doing the same comedy we were doing 30 years ago I think comedy always needs to evolve. Um, I'm happy to be given a set of set of guidelines, kind of saying, you know, this is not acceptable. This is, you know, oh, this is, you know, what this does to this certain group of people. Um, then I have to make the choice: do I want to do I want to do that to that certain group of people? Um, uh, no, is my answer. So I will um, I will evolve my comedy and 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 become um, hopefully um, a better comedian for it. We're chatting to Peter Hellier for On The Record. Uh, you talk about your um, inspirations in comedy, uh, a lot of the characters from, from those sketch shows. One of your great mates is Robe McManus. You started on community TV, Channel 31, I think, with Rove. That would have been pretty basic back then, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was uh, Rove at a desk and me sitting at the desk and, and having a chat to him. But we would go out and shoot some sketches and um, literally it would be, I wouldn't have a script, I would just have an idea. Um, and it was often Rove, um, another couple of comedians, Adam Richard and and, um, and Kim Hope. And we would just, you know, kind of ad lib our way through some ideas that we uh, that I had. And, and uh, I remember one day I got the call that none of them were, uh, none of them were available. So I ended up just shooting... Uh, an interview with myself, but, but I had a Guinness, I had a Guinness beanie in my um in my car, so I grabbed the Guinness beanie and I just interviewed myself 
as if I was as if I was looking as if I was the reporter looking for my Irish twin brother, <laughs> not realizing that the person I was interviewing was obviously uh, the person I was looking for. But uh, it was it was um, it was uh, pretty basic. Um, but it was great. It was I mean Channel Thirty One. You know, I mean, you look at the, you know, uh, and I'm glad it, it kept its funding at least for another year. It's, you know, it's record. I mean, if that was a, if that was a, you know, a breeding, you know, an official breeding grant for business, I mean, you, it would be revered, you know, um, the fact that it's produced so much um, uh, talent. For well, a, the draft for, out of there has been quite extraordinary to put it in a football term, hasn't it? That, that's a beautiful way of, uh, of, of putting it, to be honest. It's, you know, it's Rove, it's Hamish and Andy. Yeah, there are so many people um, uh, come through there. Luke McGregor, uh, more recently, uh, Tommy Little. Um, so it's um, yeah, use. I usually um, uh, and, and you know when I went to Channel Nine to do Rove, um, the, the directors were all really uh, they couldn't understand how we'd come from stand up to and we hadn't been doing stand up for that long to be honest, and had this we had like um, we had craft. You know, I knew. You know, I remember. And saying, how do you know when to, you know, when to find the cameras? And um, and it's something that I just learned at Channel Thirty One, you know. And it's um, it's uh, I really hope it, it, it stays around for a long time. You had an amazing career. One thing I really like about the, the Peter Hellyer story is I've done some research. You'd be surprised I've been doing research on you. Um, <laughs> is that not everything's worked? I mean, and the reason I'm comfortable in asking you about this, and I know you don't mind talking about it, is that I've had my my own failures. In 2010, I came back to Melbourne from Sydney to start Melbourne Talk Radio, which lasted 18 months. We burned a lot of money, and and it didn't really work in the end for for a whole lot of reasons. That same year, you were convinced to go and do a show on Channel Seven called The Bounce. Uh, yep. Tell us how that came about. Well, that came about because I um, Rove had finished. <laughs> um, Rove had finished, so um, he, he uh, pulled up the stumps, and um, and uh, which I, you know, I really supported him in that that movie. It'd been a you know, um, you know, a big couple of years for Rove, um, um, and uh, he decided he needed a break. Um, so I kind of really wasn't, um, and I'd left before the game. A year or so earlier, because I I was doing breakfast radio uh, during the week, uh, and then Rove had moved to Sundays, and before the game was Saturdays. So seven I, days uh, a decided, week, both ends of the day. Yeah, yeah, and I just I had a, you know, a young family, and um, I remember saying to my manager, I'd rather, you know, I, I don't want to be a dad who's you know um, on the TV talking about the footy, but actually not being able to you know go to the footy with my kids or play, you know, kick the footy in the park with you. Know, uh, with the kids, so it was actually an easy choice. I mean, and before the game was a show that I actually I created. It was my idea. You know, it was very personal to me, um, and I decided to um, to leave. Um, and and then about a year, a year later or so, I um, I got a call from Eric McKenna, um, and he was you know curious and, and, and trying to get my uh, gauge my interest in starting up a footy show on Channel Seven, and. Um, and you know, I thought about it for you know, a little bit, and um, I kind of thought, you know, I was I was pretty proud of the, you know, that I'd been able to kind of uh, create before the game. I want to say create it was my initial idea, and then lots of other people come in and help build that idea, and it becomes its own thing. Yeah. Um, but I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I could, you know, be on the, um, you know, the grand one of another footy show that that, that works? Um, and 
So I tried to think of ways, like, you know, how I could make a different footy show that felt a bit, you know, uh, different. And and, uh, and and Rick was keen for that. And, and um, yeah, we kind of so we went into it. And, um, you know, we got off to a really good start. I remember uh, we had, our figures were really good after night one. Um, we did some great sketches that I, you know, I'm still really proud of. Um, it was uh, my co-host, Matt Richardson, and, and uh, Lee Matthews, you know. Strange and, choice for co-host. I mean, I guess Seven said to you, you need to use Seven Talent, did they? Um, yeah, I think that was part of it. Uh, and Richo was pretty hot at the time. You know, everyone loves Richo. Um, uh, and I, I, I just, you know, I loved having the gravitas of, of, you know, of Lee Matthews around. My granddad was one of the biggest, you know. How uh, did anyone convince water. Lee to do that? Well, it was just another footy show, you know, and, you know, everyone loves working. And, um, and <laughs> I, I think, true. you know, Lee, Lee was, Lee was, you know, um, excited by the idea. Um, I got Dave Lawson and, uh, and, uh, Pete Rose on and helped do some sketches and, and, and stuff. And we came, I think we came up with some pretty innovative, uh, ideas and ways to do, to do sketches. Our first episode went really well. I remember driving around the next day and listening to SEN saying, Oh, there's a new footy show in town and the, the reviews were great. And then the um, second week was, you know, just as just as good, and you know, it's an important, as you know, price of the second week of a show. You know, you, you look at, at your holding uh, that figure, and it, it, looked, it looked pretty good. And then uh, uh, MasterChef started in week three on Channel Ten, and, and that was, you know, I mean, MasterChef MasterChef's still huge uh, now, but that was also when it was really a, you know, such a massive juggernaut, and it just simply crushed us, you know. Um, and, and we also got, you know, we had a, we had a, a, uh, an internal kind of um, disagreement as far as, uh, you know, somebody had been uh, sacked without me knowing and, and, um, and then some of the writers uh, who were mates of mine who I kind of brought into the, the show kind of left and um, we had to kind of find new writers. And just all of a sudden there just seemed to be, I had a, I had a journalist kind of coming to my house and I lived out in, you know, four, you know 35 minutes outside of Melbourne. So... It was weird that a journalist came to my house asking about this stuff, and all of a sudden it just felt that the um, the praise that we'd gotten the first two weeks for some reason, and I never completely understood it. Um, this was turning a little bit, and with MasterChef just you know absolutely kind of uh, steamrolling us, we were, we were off air by you know you know week five, I think it was, and um, they did say they genuinely said to me, um, let's let's take it off air, let's just see out MasterChef, and we'll bring it back later in the year possibly for finals and then they came back to me and I was like okay well let's just see you know we'll see how we feel um, and then they came back to me and they said a few weeks later we will you know we'll bring it back but how would you feel about like not having Lee on like let's try to make it a bit of a younger um, vibe and, I, and I, I should be clear I don't think this was officially whether it was official or, 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 or just an idea the, the, the very thought uh, of me being responsible for Lee Matthews losing a job was like just I, I could not have that you know my, I was my granddad's favorite footballer was Lee Matthews Lee Matthews has, has succeeded in everything he's done I'm not going to be you know already I guess by you know having having involved in a show that I kind of helped put together I'm probably already a blip on his radar you know or you know um, so I um, I just said like, let, let's just let's just pack it up uh, let's not bring it back. You know, we, we, we gave it our best shot. Um, I, I would have liked, I think, Channel 7 to maybe try to weather the storm of MasterChef and, and, you know, come out the other side, you know, with you know, another 10 episodes where we've, we've, we've you know, built the chemistry, we've, we've gotten stronger. Um, 
and then heading in the finals that way. But you know, it's a commercial decision, and um, you know they're they're not as patient um, as uh, Network Ten. Um, and I was hoping because around this time the project was kind of you know had become a you know uh, famous in a way for for surviving you know a, a really rough first first year on Channel 10. Like everyone was expecting the project. I mean, you, you remember, Price, you've been there since day one. The project was doomed, you know, from you know, the first episode that went to air. Everyone was just waiting for it to be to be axed, and it, 10 famously uh, uh, stood by it, and it's now, you know, still on air 12 years later. So I, I was hoping at the back of my mind that 7 might take um, that kind of attitude towards uh, the bounce. But um, but in the end, everything happens for a reason. I, I, I stopped doing that. I, um, I started doing... Uh, it's a date on the ABC, which is um, very um, one of the highlights of my career, and um, and then the project asked me to kind of join join them. So um, I'm, I'm glad it turned out like that. To be honest, no embarrassment at all about being uh, beaten by MasterChef. I mean, the, sh- the show's still going, and it's in its its final uh, couple of uh, couple of episodes for this season's run, but it's still you know almost pulling a million people a night. So. Uh, you know, I mean, MasterChef's been a juggernaut, but how did you pers- – did, did that affect you personally? You're the sort of person that when you when you have a loss, I mean, aside from when Collingwood loses, when you have a loss like that professionally, does it play on your mind? Do you doubt your uh, – does your confidence get dented? Because we all know that performance in the media is all very much about confidence. Do you do you dwell on stuff like that? Oh, it, it, it can hang around a little bit. Um, I I was fortunate in a way. I literally got the news that um, Seven were, were, were acting it on the day of the premiere of a movie that I'd written called "I Love You Too." So, so I was I didn't have time to wallow, which is a, a, you know it was quite a good thing. I had I was in a very fortunate position where I had a, a movie to promote. Um, so I was. I was about to have this premiere of this movie and and then go off and do all the um all the press for it. So I was going to be in um in in Melbourne doing press and in Sydney then in Brisbane. Um and so I was able to move on. Uh, you know, people interviewing me about that weren't really interested uh, in this footy show that I'd done. So uh, I got to hang out with you know the, my you know the actors you know Brennan Cowell and Yvonne Strahovski and uh, you know Megan Gale and and then do kind of just talk about our movie for. A few days, and um, but you know. But with that said, it does it does weigh a little bit on you because it puts pressure on the next thing that you do. Um, you know, um, I mean, I've been really like I've been involved in three you know ten year shows, um, you know ten year plus shows with Rove Live before the game, and now the project. Um, you know, um, it's a date. You know, with two great seasons on uh, the ABC. How to stay married is looking like it'll go to a third season. Um, you know, Skid House even ran for, you know, I think three or four seasons. Um, so I've been extraordinarily lucky. There have been things that haven't worked. But, you know, if you look at anyone in this industry, Pricey, um, who you respect and who's been around for any any amount of time, they've all had stuff that hasn't worked. Um, so um, you, you learn a lot from, your, you know, uh, your failures. But, um, but like you said, it does it, – it did come out at a time where I, I – also the breakfast radio gig didn't go as well as I, you know, I would have hoped. So it, that that time was probably the hardest time as far as I had two things that hadn't worked, which had never happened before. I'd, uh, up until then, I had a pretty golden golden run. Um, so, you know, I just kind of um, 
put my head down and and um, and, and try to uh, you know think of the next thing to do and um, and and that was it to date and 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 it to date was a really important um, thing for me because um, I got to direct for the first time I got to work with so many new people I'd never worked before and um, and, and and bright which I hadn't done for a while. I mean, already your work ethic, you're always busy and you're always juggling more than one, two, three or four projects at a time. You know, while I've been working with you on the project, you've done uh, How to Stay Married and you're still doing stand-up comedy. Uh, in in all of this, your, your love for your, your family and your football club is at the centre of your life. I know that. We'll talk to, about how important your kids are in just a moment. But the, the strawny character that you invented, the Bogan Collingwood uh, football player with the blonde wig uh, who is a, a superstar in his own mind. Did you base that on anyone, any real person or is that an invented character? No, it was an invented character. In fact, it was um, a great mate of mine, Paul Collegia, a, a great comic uh, writer. And um, he and, he and uh, Adam Rosenbachs came to our pre-season before the game uh, uh, meeting. We, we, we just, you know, every train ideas and, um, and they said, oh, we've got an idea for Peter player, you know, like a, 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 a footy character who's, you know, you can't get a game. And, um, and I, I think Collegia actually had the name. I think he said, oh, you know, his name's Strawny. And, um, and that was really about it. And, um, and I, you know, he, I think I'd known Collegia since I started doing stand-up comedy back in 96. So I, he, he knew the stuff I liked. So I think he knew I'd be pretty respondent to that. And, and we, um, and we met with uh, uh, a couple of clubs, I think. But the first club we went to was Collingwood, and um, and they we met with Neil Baum and um, and Greg Swan, uh, both no longer at the, uh, at the at the club. But they we, we pitched them the idea because uh, we wanted them to be involved as much. As, you know, we wanted to shoot around the club, and, and, um, and they were really they were really smart and really kind of they could see the potential for it. You know, they they knew that Strawny would be wearing the um, the Collingwood outfit, and there'd be you know six sponsors represented on that. Um, on that thing, so it's all, you know, it all helps. And um, so they they opened up the doors for the club, and and um, and I remember going out on stage uh, the very first time I performed Strawny. I just had the wig, and and um, and uh, I was introduced uh, to the Collingwood members at this function they had, with all the players were being introduced. And I remember going out being introduced, and I, I still had no idea who the character was. I was just putting my arms <laughs> in the air. And, <laughs> saying Strawny, Strawny, you know, but I had no idea really um, about anything. Um, you know, we had um, one of the first scenes we shot maybe after that was um, in our production office and it was Strawny getting drafted. And the joke was that Strawny was a Western Bulldog supporter that got drafted by Collingwood. And the only, um, we didn't have, any, the, only, uh, the only woman um, who was uh, eight, like, the right age that could possibly be Strawny's mum was the accountant in the office, uh, Margaret Chong, um, who, who's uh, Chinese. Um, so that was the the, the, the running story is, is Strawny is that he's, he's half Chinese and he, uh, he hasn't realised until later on that he's, he's actually adopted. Um, but that was the only reason that came about because the only woman who was in the office who was age appropriate uh, was was uh, Margaret. So um, that that became. Um, um, Kind of that uh, that storyline, and um, uh, so I, you know, it's just kind of bit by bit, we just kind of filled in the blanks. We never have had a script. We just kind of we just kind of told players this is roughly what we want to get out. We had a storyline in, in mind, and, and um, it was a bit like the Channel Thirty One days. To be honest, you just had an idea, and you hope that um, 
you know, something would fall into place. Um, it was a, it was a fun way to shoot actually because you know you weren't asking players to learn lines. As soon as you asked them to learn lines, they would you know overact. But if you just kind of said, "This is the vibe," just go along with it. Um, and um, they, they were actually quite uh, quite natural. Strawny likes to get down here an hour earlier, just you know, hone the skills. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm blessed with natural ability, but it still doesn't hurt to you know hone the skills. Pretty sure, running by goal. Well, we have, we've taken a bit of a punt on Strawny. Um, he's a bit of a long-term project for us. Strawn versus Kaczynski. Oh, Strawny's taking the one-hander. He goes back. He can, he's 52 metres out. Can he kick it? I think he can. He winds back. Kaczynski's gone over the mark. He takes the 50-metre penalty. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cosa, you know the rules. It's been a good earner for you. I mean, uh, I saw you perform Strawny, I think, at one of the North Melbourne breakfasts before grand finals. I mean, grand final days, Strawny would do, what, four, five, six corporate appearances. And Did you ever end up on the ground on grand final day as Strawny? Not not as Strawny, but I had a really weird experience, I think, in uh, 2001, where myself and Sam Lane, Samantha Lane, um, Tim's we, daughter. Um, Tim's daughter, yeah. Um, fantastic talent, uh, Sam. And one of the one of my proudest things is I remember interviewing Sam with uh, our producer Michelle White for the um, the job on on before the game, and and um, to see where she's kind of gone um, uh, now. He's just she's uh, such an incredible uh, person um, and talent. Um, but we got invited because Channel Ten that year was broadcasting the Grand AFL Grand Final. Um, we got to uh, bring the AFL Premiership Cup to the MCG in a like a, a military helicopter. What? So we're flown. We'll, yeah, we're flown into the centre of the MCG on Grand Final Day. Got out and presented the um, the Premiership Cup, and it's, I still very think Channel like Ten way of doing things. Very Channel Ten, and it's like you know, like I just feel like. Those things, you know, Bob Skilton should be doing that. You know, <laughs> you know, well, legends, legends of the game. You know, uh, not, you know, not two people who were um, just on the TV show. I think if, if that had if that had happened like last year or this year, we would get flayed on social media uh, for doing that. So I'm glad. I'm glad Twitter wasn't quite a thing uh, back then. To be honest. I can't wait to find the vision of that and use it on the project one night and find a reason for doing it. <laughs> um, we've all been in lockdown forever. One of the the humorous parts of it has been your cocktail parties at home with your uh, your wife, Bridge. Explain your relationship uh, with her and your children. It uh, it seems like it's a lot of fun in the Hellier household. It's not too serious most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always light and shade, um, but. Um yeah, we, we, we've certainly tried to keep it fun, we, you know. We, and very uh, private. You don't talk about it often. No, no, you know, I mean, um, I talk a, bit, a lot about her on stage and, yeah, but some of that is, you know, um, there's, you know, the truth gets bent and um, uh, all of that. But, um, no, she, she's an incredible support um, for me and has been. I met her um, in uh, 99 and um, and uh, we ran it for a while. Then she went travelling for a while, so we kind of broke up for a little while. We had a little bit of time off, and and I think which seems to be uh, quite a popular thing to do you know, uh, these days. But um, then we came back and 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 um, and stayed together, uh, you know, after that. And and she's been an incredible, yeah, incredible support. She's an amazing uh, mum, and she's yeah. And uh, we, we, as far as lockdown goes, we, we've tried to make it uh, fun. You know, I think that. Uh, Lockdown and the pandemic. I think you, you've got to compartmentalise it a bit. I think you, there's there's your concern for what's happening to the world and to the community, and um, you know your parents you worry about, and um, 
and um, you know in the economy and but then you also have to you know you, you got to also think on in, 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 in separately how's your little village as far as your house and your family going and, and we've tried to keep that as fun and as, uh, as possible and keep things you know as, as solid for the for the kids as possible we've got uh, Liam doing year, year 12 um, and um, so you know this is another to be honest Bridge came up with the idea of doing these pub crawls around her house she actually did it once with one of her friends before that like a year ago just uh, and you should, they just went around the house and, and different spots outside and inside just you know um, uh, having drinks and um, I said we should do that you know in, in the house and and so we yeah we just kind of dressed up different rooms and uh, came up with different names for for the, uh, these bars or pubs and um, take some photos and and uh, it's just fun it gives us something to look forward to throughout the week and um, and uh, yeah it's been um it's been something to you know distract us during these weird times I'm intrigued just finally um, because how to stay married second episode uh, second series went up on on 10 you, you think you might get a third Lisa McCune and you are, are great in it but she writes a book about what a dreadful husband you are. Uh, and you have to watch this un- unfold uh, in the series. Does Bridge look at um, how to stay married when she watches it on TV and think, I hope none of this is about our relationship? <laughs> um, I mean, some, some of it is. I mean, some of it, some of it she, you know, like she can clearly identify. Also, you know, I've already told her about, you know, I mean, I, I, I can fight in Bridge, you know, about, you know, uh, and, you know the stuff I'm doing on stage. There's nothing I say on stage that hasn't, I haven't run past Bridge if it's about her. You know, and generally, you know, all the stuff she she, she knows about because I usually use her as a bit of a sounding board. Um, but um, so she she recognises a lot of it as being part of our lives. Um, and then, but she's also aware of how it works. I might bring an idea about saying this is what happened to me and Bridge, and then our writers, you know, our, our writers' room will sit around and kind of you know other people will add their experiences. So I might go off in a different direction. Um, and, um, so it's not, it's never completely 100% the way it, it played out. Um, it's usually, you know, got other people's fingerprints on it and, um, and experiences, uh, which is, which is, which is great. But I think as long as all those uh, storylines in how to stay married starts from like a, a very real place, you know, that's what, um, that's what works for me. Um, and it makes it, you know, feel, I think in the end relatable, um, uh, for everyone. But um, funnily enough, Bridge and I have actually written a book together. Um, I mean, Em and Greg didn't write that, uh, my shit husband uh, together in the show. But Bridge, Bridge and I, we, 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 in fact, it gets released in, the, in uh, uh, August, early August. Uh, it's, it's called Tripping with Kids, and it's about traveling with your kids. We wanted to encourage um, parents to, to uh, travel with their kids because um, a lot of uh, parents, they put the traveling off. But we decided many years ago that traveling was too important uh, to us, and we just we didn't want to wait. So we um we you know we took the kids around France for six weeks. We went backpacking with them uh, two years after that around Eastern Europe, and they were just the, the most magical times. And um, we really wanted to encourage parents to to keep traveling. So yeah, last year we we you know, uh, we would you know, sit around the, yeah our, our kitchen table and and, and with our laptops and and kind of work together. It was kind of it was kind of a um, a bizarre experience, and uh, we, we survived it. Um, and we're um, really proud of the uh, of the book. But it's a great experience uh, working working with Bridge. Now, as far as you can go, is Broad Meadows. Uh, sadly, and- <laughs> <laughs> admittedly, releasing a travel book in a pandemic is not yeah, ideal. Not what a- we had in mind. 
Not a great but, idea. Uh, it's look. Nah. It's been fabulous to talk to you. I just uh, want you to talk just briefly about your own podcast, which has been a, a raging success. Uh, you are uh, talking to mates of yours about movies they've never seen. What a good idea! Yeah, it's an idea I've had for a couple of years. But um, as I guess you've mentioned, I've had, I've had a few things on, uh, so uh, it's kind of always been put on the back burner. But um, my New Year's resolution, if you like, was to, to get this podcast out. Um, and, um, and yeah, so it's called You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. I, I chat to mates about movies, classic movies they haven't seen and they, they watch it and then they, be, they come in and we, and we chat about it. So uh, Tom Gleeson hadn't seen The Lion King. Uh, Sam Pang, amazingly, hadn't seen The Castle. Uh, P. Miranda, The Notebook, Luke McGregor, The Godfather. Um, and uh, Christopher Pine um, hadn't <laughs> yes. seen The Clockwork Orange. So I got to... Um, I got to chat to Christopher Payne about uh, Clockwork Orange, which was uh, fascinating. He's, you know, he's a, he's a real movie lover, and um, it was great to chat to him uh, about. Yeah, we, we covered a little bit of politics, but um, that you know, uh, more so from a movie point of view. Um, um, uh, but it was great to chat to him about um, you know movies, and it, it, it is a great yeah level of movies. You know, you can connect with people who you might have different views on politically or you know, socially, but you know, you, you, when you talk about movies. It, um, it kind of takes you away from all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's quite nice. Well, I hope Christopher Pine's sending you royalty checks because you've made his post-political career work for him for sure. Peter Hellier, <laughs> as usual, it's a pleasure to work with you. Great to chat. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on The Record. Thank you, Francie. Well, that just shows you not everything talented people in the media have a crack at works. Next in our podcast series On The Record, the incredible story of conservative commentator Rita Panahi.